We are in a series titled Fear Not. This is our Christmas series. And we're looking at angelic visitations during the Christmas story. Uh, Gabriel visits uh, Zechariah, then he visits Mary, then he visits Joseph, and then a whole host of angels visit the shepherds. And in, and in each of the visits, the angels say, fear not. Thus the title, fear not. And what they, the fear that they're trying to cast out is more than just, oh, I see an angel and I'm encountering the supernatural as scary as that might be. See, the angels realize that they're bringing the message of the Savior is to be born. And they understand that the coming of Jesus casts out all human fear. There's no reason to be afraid ever for any reason because Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is to be born. And so you and I live in a day and age in which the Messiah has come. And his kingdom has begun, and we live in the, the New Testament age. And we have no reason to fear if we will live our lives by faith. And so, at Christmas, you, you might have a, a very basic fear of, I, I'm afraid I won't have enough. I'm afraid I won't be able to buy presents for my kids, and, and uh, God... Your father says, look, if you, if you have faith in my son Jesus, you are my ch child, and I'm going to take care of you, and I will supply all your needs according to my riches in glory. You might, during Christmas, uh, have the fear of being alone. And God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I know who you are. I'm with you 24-7 with my spirit. And he gives us his church, his people to be with us. Uh, you might, now the biggest fear of all is the fear of death, right? The final enemy. And yet the coming of Jesus Christ even, even slays that fear, even casts out that fear when we walk by faith because Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated the power of sin and death in the world. And so fear not, fear not says the angel, and, and that's God speaking to us. Fear not. What, what fear? What fear are we entertaining? What fear are, is plaguing our lives right now that God wants to cast out through the, the message of Jesus, the Christmas story? And that's a question for you to answer in your own heart. What fear is plaguing you that God wants to say, it is saying, fear not. The Savior's been born. I'm with you. I've got you. You're safe in my care. So just take that in. And let God's love and his truth cast that fear out this morning. We're looking today at Gabriel's visit of Mary when he tells Mary... You're the one. God has chosen to be the mother of the Savior. And this great story is found in Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, open, please, to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel 
was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. In the sixth month of what? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Immediately preceding this story, uh, we read about Gabriel visiting Zechariah to say, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a child in your old age, uh, kind of, you know, your past childbearing age, but God is going to satisfy this longing that you've had. You're going to have a son, and his name is John. This is John the Baptist, and uh, Pastor James preached on this story last week. So, Elizabeth, who is a cousin of Mary's, she's six months pregnant, but she's been quiet about this, and so word has not yet spread. Uh, But God's fully aware of what's going on, and so in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sends Gabriel. And Gabriel told Zechariah that he stands in the presence of God. What a privileged position. Gabriel gets to hang out in the presence of God. And he's there uh, so that he can be ready to serve the Lord when the time arises. And so God sends Zechariah to Mary. He's sent from God. It's important to understand that God is the actor, not the angel. The angel is the servant responding to God's initiative. But this is amazing because the whole backdrop of this story is that God is making good on a promise he made hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. You see, the Father, God, is Trinitarian, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It is the Father who envisioned the salvation plan. It's his plan. Jesus the Son, who is The key player is obedient to the Father's plan, even to the point of death. And then the Spirit of God helps the follower of Christ unpack the glories of salvation throughout all eternity. And so God the Father has a plan. And he had told the prophets of Israel hundreds of years earlier, my plan includes the sending of my son the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And, and we read about this promise in multiple places in the Old Testament. Let me just point out a couple. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, the prophet Nathan is sent by God with a message to David, king of Israel. And, and he says, uh, David, God is going to ensure that one of your descendants sits on the throne of Israel forever. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Incredible. Uh, David, in the next chapter, uh, goes to the tabernacle, sits in front of the presence of the Lord and just says, oh, please, Please fulfill the promise you just made. That's incredible. Now, many, many years later, the prophet Jeremiah fleshes this out a little bit more. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5 we read, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. So he's speaking of a future day at that point. The days are coming 
when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. And he, the righteous branch, shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. And the people of God, for hundreds of years, had been crying out, please, God, send us the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the, the one that you have promised, because they're looking forward to a king who will reign in justice and righteousness and wisdom. And they know that when the Messiah comes, it will be good for the people of God. And and so what is happening is the waiting is over. God sends Gabriel to Mary and says, it's time. It's happening now. And I think it's significant. I think it's significant that God doesn't announce it's time to the chief priests or the, uh, the rich and famous and powerful in the land. He, he makes that announcement first to this simple woman of faith living in Nazareth. See, Nazareth is a town in the region of Galilee, which is up north, probably 55 miles north of Jerusalem. And Galilee is a beautiful region. Sabrina and I were there a few years ago, and I thought, no wonder Jesus did his ministry in, in Galilee. It's like the nicest place around, and it's kind of a, res, a resort valley. But, uh, but Nazareth was not held in high esteem at this time. In fact, one of Jesus' disciples, Nathaniel, when he was told that the Messiah was from Nazareth, and he said, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, it, it just was a pretty no-account town. And yet, that's where Mary lives, the woman that God has an eye on. Uh, you know, God, what, is it, what does Second Chronicles tell us? The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, seeking to uphold those whose hearts are completely His. It doesn't matter where you live on planet earth. God knows you. And if, you, if your heart is His, He's pleased with you. And He'll use you. And, and Mary is a virgin. And that means she's a young woman. Uh, she was most likely a teenager. And she's also not been with a man. But she is betrothed to a man a man by the name of Joseph. And betrothal is much more significant than our engagement here in the U.S. Engagement is just a matter of words and of the heart, and if you break off an engagement, you can do that without any legal ramifications. Betrothal was actually a legal matter. Money had changed hands. There had been a dowry price given from one family to the other. And and so if you were to break off your betrothal, there had to be a, a legal certificate of divorce given. And Mary is betrothed to Joseph. So she knows who her husband's going to be. But there was about a year's wait between betrothal and living together as husband and wife. And so she's not yet living with Joseph. And Joseph is of the house of David. That means he's a descendant of King David which is important because the Messiah will be a descendant of David. 
And so Joseph is of that royal lineage. But at this time, the Romans are in charge of the land. And so here you have a descendant of David who is, you know, making ends meet as just a simple carpenter. Verse 28. And he, Gabriel, the angel, came to her, Mary, and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Gabriel knew who Mary was. She didn't, right? She's totally oblivious. I'm just a, a simple girl of faith from Nazareth. But Gabriel knows you. You have been the one God has chosen You're the one God has chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. You are going to play a significant role in the salvation drama. And so I have to assume that in in Gabriel's tone, there is great respect and great joy to make this announcement. I assume, maybe I'm wrong, but I assume that every Jewish woman... uh, Imagine, maybe fantasized about the possibility of what if my kid were the Messiah? I mean, the Messiah is going to have a mom, and it's going to be a Jewish mom. What if, what if my kid were the Messiah? How amazing would that be? And yet Gabriel, Gabriel's going to be announcing to Mary, uh, for you it's not just a fantasy. For you it's going to be reality. Greetings, O favored one. In other words, the favor of God rests upon you. The Lord is with you. That's very significant. Uh, And what we're going to see here, well, what we see here in verse 29 is that uh, Mary, you know, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. You'd think that she would, you know, be super uh, overjoyed with this. And yet we read, but she was greatly troubled at the saying. She's not greatly troubled at the fact that she's encountering an angel. It's not the presence of the angel that is troubling her. It's his words. It's the saying. Now, why would that trouble her? Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. I mean, what's troubling about that? Well, this girl knows her Bible, and she knows that when an angel shows up and says, the Lord is with you, uh, what that often means is he's about to call you into some uh, task uh, service. And, you know, you read the Bible and you see that these men and women of faith throughout the ages with whom God is very pleased and whom God uses greatly, they, they, that calling very often involves hardship and heartache. And I think, I think Mary's very aware when, when an angel comes and says, the Lord is with you. And you're like, uh, what's he going to be asking of me? And we're going to see. It's not that she's going to say No. Um, she, has, she, has, she is open to the Lord, willing to be used, uh, but it doesn't come without some trepidation, right? Because what, what exactly is God going to ask of me? But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be, right? Uh, what is it the Lord is going to be asking of me? Verse 30, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, that's not the same thing as saying, don't worry, Mary, God's not going to ask anything hard of you. 
It's going to all, it's just as easy. This is going to be easy. It's all just smooth sailing for you. You get, you get the, uh, the only good stuff calling of God. No. Uh, he, he, I think he probably uh, is aware that uh, Mary's calling is going to have some hardship in it. Uh, in fact, what we do read that in the next chapter, Jesus is born at this time. He's just a little baby, and they've brought Jesus to the temple to dedicate him. And Simeon, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesies over Mary and Jesus. And we read this in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, I assume Mary's holding Jesus at this time, Behold... This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Jesus is going to create controversy. And then he says to Mary, And Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary had to watch her son be misunderstood falsely accused, betrayed, spit upon, beaten, and ultimately crucified like a common criminal. She had to watch her son die. A lot of heartache the calling of God brought into her life. So how can, how can, how can Gabriel say, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God? And I think you hear it, here's why. Because Gabriel understands the privilege of being used by God for eternal, eternally significant things way outweighs any of the heartache and hardship that calling brings. Right? The privilege of being the mother of the Messiah, the privilege of sharing the gospel with your friend and having, playing a role in their whole eternal existence being altered that outweighs the hardship and the heartache of being on mission with God. And, and, the, and the people of God have demonstrated this throughout the ages, willing to go to the ends of the earth and to endure all kinds of suffering, even to lay down their lives so that other people might find life in Jesus Christ. And they, cons they consider it a great privilege to sacrifice in that way. Why? Because all of a sudden, what you're doing with your life is, of, is of eternal consequence and eternal significance. And so Gabriel is saying, Mary, focus on the great privilege of your calling. Look what you're going to get to do in the great salvation drama. You have found favor with God even though it's going to involve hardship or heartache. And now, in verse 31, he begins to tell her what exactly the calling is. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Uh, by the way, Jesus was not the only kid on the playground with the name Jesus. Uh, Jesus is Yeshua, in Hebrew, which is Joshua, the Lord saves. Verse 32, he will be great. Gabriel told Zechariah, John the Baptist will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Gabriel tells Mary, Jesus will be 
great. Gabriel knows who Jesus is, the second person of the Trinity, the God-man, fully God, fully human. He will be great, period, and will be called the Son of the Most High. Who calls Jesus Son of the Most High? Well, not the religious leaders of his day, not the Romans, not those who reject him and don't have faith in him. They call him a good teacher or an imposter or a fake or he was deluded. But Gabriel calls him the Son of the Most High. God the Father calls him Son of the Most High. And those of us who have put our faith in him call him Son of the Most High. Who do you call Jesus? You have a name for Jesus in your own heart and mind, don't you? What do you call Jesus? Son of the Most High. You know, the Bible in Revelation tells us there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is coming a day when all people who have ever lived, their eyes will be opened, they will see Jesus for who he really is. But unfortunately for many, I think the biblical testimony suggests even most, that will be a, a, an acknowledgement of despair because they've missed the opportunity to get right with God by putting their faith in His Son, Jesus. But you're still here. You're still alive. You still have opportunity to call Jesus Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father, David, and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. So, Jesus is a son of David. He is a descendant of David. And that has led many to conclude that Mary herself must have been a descendant of David, like Joseph. But it could be that it's just Joseph, who is not his biological father, but it could be that uh, Jesus' um, lineage comes through Joseph, the, his, the custodial father. There's some ambiguity about um, Mary's descendants, Mary's lineage. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. The house of Jacob is just another term for Israel forever. And I think about right about now, Mary, Mary is getting it. I'm going to have a son, and he's going to sit on David's throne, and he's going to rule over the house of Jacob. I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. Ah! This is incredible. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. What? That's not just saying, like God told, J God told David, you know, your house will go on forever. Here it's saying, your son will reign forever. How is that possible? People die. Yeah, but Jesus rose from the dead three days later, later, and he's alive today, seated at the right hand of the Father, reigning in the hearts of his people. And someday he'll return and his kingdom will be established on earth 
as it is forever, and his kingdom will have no end. There won't be a finish line, and nor will it have, there, will there be any nook and cranny in the universe, including in any human heart that is not fully submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He will be great. And Mary said to the angel, verse 34, how will, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Zechariah asked a question that Gabriel saw through and realized there was doubt involved. And so Zechariah was struck dumb until God's promise of John the Baptist being born was fulfilled. Mary apparently isn't lacking any faith. She just wants to know the mechanics. <laughs> You know, uh, she, yeah, she's a teenager, but she knows that the storks don't bring the babies. It requires, you know, a girl and a boy. And uh, she's never been with a boy. And I, I do wonder, why doesn't she just assume that this will all come to pass once she gets married to Joseph? There must have been something that the angel said or something in the tone of the voice of the angel that indicated this was going to happen pretty much immediately before she was going to be with Joseph. So she's wanting to know, how's this going to happen? Can, we, can you tell me the mechanics of this? Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Let me remind you of the very second verse of the whole Bible. The earth was without form and void, the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Gabriel says, it's going to be a virgin birth, no boy involved. God will place your son's life inside you. No conception before and no conception since has been like it. It is unique, it's miraculous, and a lot of people get tripped up on the virgin birth. It's impossible, of course it's impossible, without God, but with God, all things are possible. And when you, if, if you believe in a creator who brought life out of a formless and void earth, well, that's no big deal. If you believe that, then how hard is it for God to place life inside of Mary's womb? The virgin birth is no big deal to the creator of the universe. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, set apart, different, unique, the Son of God. The manner of Jesus' conception uh, leads to him being called the Son of God. The virgin birth highlights the divinity of Jesus Christ. He is fully God and fully man. His humanity comes from Mary, his mother. But there's no, there's no human father. It's God who places his son, Jesus, in, in Mary. Jesus is unique. When we say that Jesus is the son of God, you know, uh, we're not he. We're, we're not just saying, yeah. We're saying he is unlike any other. <laughs> he 
He's unlike any other human. He is actually God in human flesh. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. That, it's, that was a miracle, uh, but pales in comparison to the miracle of a virgin birth. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Mary has not asked for a sign, but Gabriel gives her a sign. Your cousin Elizabeth, who you know is old, and, it, and everybody says is barren. Guess what? She's pregnant. God has put a child in her. You can go confirm that, which is what a sign is, and she does. In the very next, very next chapter, she beelines it to Elizabeth to see this fulfillment. For nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 37. Do you believe that nothing is impossible with God? If you don't believe that, I don't believe, I don't think you can live a life animated by faith. See, the Christian, in order to live the Christian life, you must believe that God will make good on his promises, and many of his promises are absolutely outlandish, right? I'm going to forgive all your sins. There won't be any condemnation for those of you who are in Jesus Christ. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit within you who will empower you to live a life that pleases me. And then when you die, the same Holy Spirit that brought Jesus from the dead is going to bring life to your mortal bodies, and you're going to live forever and ever and ever with me in paradise. Those are outlandish promises that can only be fulfilled by the power of the Creator God. And if you don't believe that all things are, power, all things are possible with God, you're not going to believe in the central hope of the Christian life, and your life won't be animated by, uh, by that faith. And then, then it doesn't make sense to live the Christian life the way the Bible tells us to live the Christian life, with abandon to the will of God and a submission that we see Represented in Mary. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. I think she was excited to be the mother of the Messiah. But she is also modeling for us what a surrender to the will of God looks like, what humility before, uh, before your God looks like. And may I suggest to you that Mary did not make this decision to become the servant of God in that moment. No way. She was simply affirming in light of a particular calling, a decision she'd already made. I am 100% convinced that Mary, in an even younger age, maybe even before the time she became a teenager, had decided, I am the servant of the Lord. God, I trust you. 
I believe that you are good and great and that you would never ask anything of me that isn't in my, for my best, in my best interest. And so I surrender my life to you. I am yours to command. I'm your servant. Use me as you wish. By the way, there, it's never too young to make a, a, a spiritual decision. And often we can make decisions as young people that, are, that just completely uh, determine the spiritual trajectory of our life. You're not too young. Jude, right there. You're not too young to make a decision for God. Don't let anybody look down on you and your ability to know God and, and, uh, and follow Him. So I am convinced that Mary had made a decision, even younger. I am the servant of the Lord. And now God has given her a specific calling and she reaffirms it. I'm the servant of the Lord. If that's, if that's what you have uh, chosen for me, if that's the calling on my life, okay. I also, this one I, I highly suspect, I'm not as competent, but I highly, I suspect that the reason Mary got this privileged calling is because she had already said to God, I am your servant. She'd all, already opened herself up to the will of the Lord in her life. She'd surrendered herself to God. And then, because of that, God gives her this great opportunity, this great privileged calling. And so I see two things in this story. On one hand... Uh, this story is saying God has not forgotten his promise to his people. You know, the time has come. He is sending the Savior. And so it is, it is uh, part of that, that Christmas story that we're entering into this season. The Savior of the world has come. And, and that should bring us great hope and cast out our fears. But then there's this, this second uh, point of this story, which is the example of Mary and her surrender to the will of God and as a result being used by God um, mightily in, for a very significant purpose in his kingdom, in this salvation drama. And so I challenge you, I invite you, if you've never done that before, to Get to a place right now where you say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Open yourself up to God's sovereign direction of your life. Trust Him that he, He'll only ask of you things that are right and good. And if He'll do that, God will use you. I believe He'll give you opportunities to do eternally significant things. Things for which you will be uh, proud in, a, in the right way throughout all eternity and for which we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Will you become a servant of the Lord? Let's pray. Lord, we love your word, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We love the fact that you have uh, recorded for us and preserved for us the stories of you working in the world in times past uh, so that we see your ways. And Lord, we celebrate Mary, uh, a woman who has responded 
in faith to you and uh, has modeled for us a submission to your will. And Lord, you used her to be the mother of the Messiah. And we celebrate Jesus during this Christmas season. We're so thankful that we live in an, in an age where the Savior has come and our fears can be cast out by faith in him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.